This is Study Sessions, brought to you by Sex Ed Debunked. In these mini-sodes, we'll discuss a myth suggested to us by listeners like you. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Sex Ed Debunked to suggest new myths, provide your own show notes, and give us ideas for what to talk about next. Now take some notes. The study group is in session. Hi, this is Study Sessions, a bi-weekly minisode brought to you by questions and suggestions from our Sex Ed Debunked audience. On this week's episode, we're addressing the new year elephant in the room, breakups. Because the truth is a lot of people break up after the holidays. It's just true. They're like, thank you for the presence. Now I'd like to no longer have your presence. But there, there are a sense of like, well, you got to hang on until the holidays when we are like the Kwanzaa, the Hanukkah, that's Christmas, and then New Year's. Yay! I feel like people just don't have the, the, the emotional <laughs> bandwidth to deal with a breakup during the holiday season. Well, and, and uh, so Shan, you were telling me your experience with your queer bear community that seems to be kind of a... Universal phenomenon. It's a trend for sure. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, people get over the the holiday hump and then they're like, all right, well, see ya. (laughs) So anyway, on today's episode, given all of that, we are talking about the science of heartbreak. But But, because it's a new year and we like to be positive in the new year, we're also going to talk about the science of what folks in the poly world refer to as NRE, which is new relationship energy and how that affects your brain and your body. New relationship energy. So like the honeymoon phase. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. There's some science behind it. So we'll talk about it. See, we're balanced. We've got it all covered. (laughs) But we do want to end the episode on a positive note. So we will start with the harder topic. Breakups. Breaking up is hard to do. Why are we like this? Okay. So I recently read an article on NPR about the science of breakups because I was looking it up for my own comfort. Um, And it's kind of comforting because there really is a reason why it feels so terrible. Like multiple reasons. A lot of scientific reasons. Heartbreak itself is not a myth. It's totally a real thing. And, And part of the real thing actually is the fact that for some people, their heart actually does break. So um, you shared the article with me, Shannon, and of course that uh, prompted me to go down the the research avenue, which I like to do. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, the, the book, the article you showed me was about a book that a kind of a, I don't want to say a self-help book, but it was a book about a woman's journey after heartbreak. And her heartbreak occurred after a 25-year marriage ended. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of her research stemmed from her experience in terms of like, why do I feel so crappy? (laughs) So that book is Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey by Florence Williams. Um, And then the article we're referring to is an article called Heartbroken. There's a scientific reason why breaking up feels so rotten on NPR. So we can share that link out with the episode. But an interesting fact that I, that's right off the bat from that article is that we are biologically primed to experience stress when a relationship ends which I found interesting. So being in love, quote unquote, actually create creates stress hormones. So without the elation of that being in love, when you lose that and in the absence of a partner, we end up just feeling the stress. Like it is stressful to be broken up, to be out of a relationship. Well, and some of that has to do with the fact that we are social beings. We do function as humans better when we are um, not alone. I mean, obviously we all learn to be alone. We have, we have breakups, there's loneliness, but fundamentally, you know, as we talk about on so many of our episodes, being with others and social support is really important. So being in a relationship really is part of how, what we do 
to survive. And when that relationship ends, we all, we have stress when we're in the relationship, but we have a different kind of stress when we're out of that relationship. And part of what I found really interesting about that is that the longer a couple is together and the more time they spend together, the more their bodies actually co-regulate. Like scientifically speaking, if your bodies, you know, we joke a lot about like women syncing up with their periods when they spend a lot of time together, but there is something to be said for co-regulation when you share a space with someone else. So when a relationship doesn't work out, you're not imagining that you feel quote unquote off. You actually do. Your body is literally adapting to a new and unfamiliar environment. And obviously the longer that you were in that relationship, the more it's going to impact you biologically and physiologically speaking. Um, physiologically, what the science tells us is what that really is. is like a co-regulation that people who have been together for a while, their breathing might sync up, their sleep patterns sync up. And as a result, their body functions, their digestive system, their um, patterns of immune response, all of that stuff syncs up with the person that you're with. And the longer you're in that relationship, the longer it, it's, it syncs up. So when that relationship ends, it makes sense and mm -hmm. it takes a while to disentangle it. And what's interesting about that is I think a lot of us would assume like, I'm not sleeping well because I'm sad or I'm not sleeping well, or I'm not eating well because I'm sad or because I'm anxious or because I'm hurt. And those things are true, but it's also a, a physiological response of your body to be in a new environment, lacking that partner. Like there's something that goes beyond just, I'm actively sad. It's also that your body is actively reacting. Well, and part of that reaction is this new experience of stress. So we know from evolutionary psychology that stress is, is our response to feeling threat. Mm -hmm. So when we are in a relationship and we, we get to that stage of a relationship where we feel safe, mm -hmm. being alone triggers that threat response, right. that flight response, mm -hmm. that anxious response, right. which as we know, we can get over it. But it's a real thing. So for those of you out there who might be experiencing some heartbreak at the beginning of the year, um, it's, it's, it is real. It's not in your head, but it doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. Part of the article, too, also talked about that heartbreak is a real thing. There's a thing called broken heart syndrome. Yeah. Explain that. Well, apparently what it does is it mimics a heart attack. It's basically your heart actually, for some people, I mean, it's a 5% of the heart attacks that mm -hmm. are out there, but it's actually 5%, which is a pretty big number. And basically a person could actually have a heart attack with no actual lasting physical symptomology in terms of like heart damage or arterial sclerosis, you know, uh, clogging of the arteries, none of that stuff, mm -hmm. but your body still reacts and your heart still reacts as if it had a, a true heartbreak. That's so sad. <laughs> they, they, the research on this issue was done um, in the wake of natural disasters. Mm. That someone who was ex people who were experiencing extreme grief over say, grief. loss of their yeah. home and loss of people that triggers actual heartbreak. Well, and that does make some sense, right? Because what is a, what is the ending of a relationship if not mourning loss? It's true. It's true. Um, one of the other things that is really um, typical when you break up is a compromised immune system. So how many times have you broken up with somebody and all of a sudden actually feel sick mm -hmm. or you catch a cold or you catch a flu something and you're the person who says, I've never, I haven't been sick in years. Right. <laughs> and then a relationship ends and all of a sudden you find yourself sick in bed with a fever or a cough or something. Well, 
that sign says that that's a real thing too. <laughs> so what happens is that there's a nerve in your body. It's called the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. And the vagus nerve is what controls things like digestion and um, has a lot of impact with the parasympathetic nervous system, mm-hmm. which is all of that involuntary stuff that goes on and makes your body work right. Mm-hmm. Well, when you break up, you have lower vagal activity and then it all trickles down. It's like a domino effect. So what you're saying is what happens in the vagal system, the vagus system does not stay in the vagus system. Well, part of what it does is it, it, it increases inflammation in your body. And as we know from science and all the research that's done on stress, your inflamed body is a lot of what calls, causes illness. Yeah. Yeah. No, not really. It's so heartbreak, a real thing. Heart sick, also a real it thing. Is. It is. And then that person in your life has helped you regulate all of that, your arousal, yeah. your, your emotions, your body functions. And then that person is gone. You've got to learn how to regulate by yourself all over. Right. Again. I mean, the process is displacing, right? I mean, how often, how often we describe love in books and movies, whatever, as you know, you're my person, you make me feel like I'm home. You, you feel like home to me. Well, when you lose that, you're losing that safety. You're losing that sense of self and sense of safety. Yeah. Um, the other area talked about in the literature, um, I, I dug up a literature review for about 10 years old, but it was a pretty good comprehensive review of the science, talked about how it impacts, actually impacts your brain where they scientists can see it on a brain scan. Interesting. And in those studies, and this is the part I think we have to, we have to kind of tease apart a little bit. It suggested that Brain activity with grief, which is loss of a relationship. Mm -hmm. The same brain centers for romantic love is the same brain center that's triggered with a breakup. So in other words, your brain feels rejection in the same way it feels affection. Interesting. And and that's something that I, I... I didn't have a chance to look at more recent research, but it's, it seems to me it really goes to all of this coming to the same reward center of the brain. Mm-hmm. So you know how sometimes like when you go through a breakup, having a good cry is actually cathartic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why is that you're trying to kind of re-trigger those pathways in your brain into, into kind of, De- redefining reward because we shouldn't be refining defining reward as rejection. We should be defining reward as right. happiness. But I think what's happening is your brain is feeling something very intense. Right. And that's what I would speculate is why those same brain centers light up when you're getting reward or when you're getting rejected. Cause it's just a very, very intense. No, that's, that's definitely true. On. Like I, even just in personal experience, I've been, you know, at the tail end of a relationship and frustrated with myself because I'm can't cry. And I'm like, I know I'm feeling all these things and I know I want to just like let these emotions out, but it won't happen. It won't happen. It won't happen. It's like my body, my brain, and my mind is trying to protect itself. And then all of a sudden it just, right. Right. Just whoosh. But then when you, and then you feel better, cry. Yeah. and then you feel better. So there's some science behind a good cry. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, all crying is good crying, I say, because at least it's getting something out of your system. It is. But I think there's a, there's some, there's a different kind of cathartic cry mm-hmm. when you're done and then you feel done. Yeah. And that's kind of a beautiful return to stasis. It's right. kind it's of the way your body is kind of being like, okay, time to re- start regulating yourself on your own now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. So 
So you're not alone, all you listeners out there who might have had a rough beginning to the new year and your body will recover and your emotions will recover Yeah, and your brains will recover. <laughs> you're going to be okay is what we're getting at. Which leads to shifting, shifting, shifting. All right. Shift to the science between good things. Yes. Let's <laughs> shift to NRE, new relationship energy, those giddy first few months or even years actually where everything feels kind of perfect. Kind of great. Yeah. Um, and new relationship energy has been, is a term that has been used for several years in the polyamorous community, mm-hmm. um, partly because what they try to understand to find a balance between is when you meet somebody new, it's always exciting. Right. So it makes sense that it would be a term in the polyamorous community since you are constantly meeting new people. Well, theoretically, and also in the polyamorous community, there's an acknowledgement that NRE is that bubbly, exhilarating feeling in the beginning. And if you have an existing relationship, Mm -hmm. you have to be really mindful to take care of that existing relationship and not get sucked into the NRE of the new relationship. (laughs) But new relationship energy is also can be as readily applied to anyone else entering any kind of new relationship. It doesn't have to be someone who identifies as being in an open relationship or any way polyam. I mean, there is a lot of, again, sort of stereotyping, but kind of true in especially like lesbian relationships of, you know, what does a lesbian bring on the second date? A (laughs) U-Haul. But it's in part because that new relationship energy, that new connection, that new way that you just feel excited about someone and they feel excited about you. Of course, with two women, there's a lot of heightened emotionality going on in that. A different kind of connection, but it's true. It's like when you first start seeing someone new... It's exciting because not only are you meeting someone new, but you're getting to reintroduce yourself to someone new too. Well, and in social psychology and, and researchers who look into relationships, they call this the passionate love phase. Oh. Um, it's kind of all-consuming, as we know. It's also all-consuming physically and psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, you know, you, you can't eat, you can't sleep in a good mm-hmm. way because there's so much going and on. And isn't that interesting how much those things mimic each other? Like when we talk about the reward and the rejection and like, you know, the heartbreak and the, the you know, heart throb are very similar. It is. Similar. Yeah. And so, so, you know, when you go through a breakup, we're in a new relationship might be around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> but what, but what the science also tells us is that um, what happens is that the feelings are so intense that sometimes they set in and they always set in before you get to know the partner. Mm-hmm. So I know we're all familiar with the term red flags. Sure. Yeah. So sometimes when you're that in, was in 2022's word of the year. <laughs> but when you're in that phase, you often don't see red flags. Uh, I have an interesting quote about that, which is, when you're looking at someone through rose-colored glasses, red flags just look like flags. Oh, snap. Yeah. Snap, snap, snap. Yeah. So a well-known relationship researcher um, by the name of Helen Fisher, she says that there are three stages of love. Okay. So the first stage is lust. All right. All right. And <laughs> each stage, importantly, is driven by different hormones and chemical reactions. Okay. So again, science. Science. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, so the first stage is not going to surprise you. It is characterized by testosterone and estrogen. So lusty. Lusty. Now, of course, we often think testosterone is all about the 
the male body and the male gender, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Actually, testosterone is the sexual hormone for all genders. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's... I didn't know that. Did you know that, listeners? Testosterone is the... Well, testosterone is actually more important to women's desire than men. Fascinating. Okay. That's so interesting. Which is why some women, as they get older and they get past... um, post-menopause, oh. they will be treated with testosterone to keep, to bring mm-hmm. back their libido and bring back their That desire. is interesting. I'm learning. So that's the first phase. <laughs> okay. So lust. So the second phase is attraction. So it's, we've moved from that, that just like straight up libido into. Now attraction is still an intense beginning stage. It's, it's past the, let's go to bed. Well, I mean, yeah. you're still going to bed. You're just, but it's past that, you're past that, like, I can't keep my hands off you. And then we have to go and do it all the time. Um, but it's not that far past because you're talking about the beginning of a relationship. Oh, this is, love. this is, is that, that Beyonce. This is the help me. I'm feeling phase. <laughs> yes. Got it. And so many feelings. <laughs> it's, it's the, the, the phrase in, in one of the articles I looked at was drunk in love. Mm-hmm. So and why we feel drunk is we're constantly being rewarded by the relationship. Right. So you've got your dopamine, That's your dopamine serotonin. Yeah. yeah. So that constant reward makes you come back for more. And that's when, you know, you want to spend every minute with that person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you're done at the date, you want to text them and see how they are. And you're sending Shut up. <laughs> I'm not calling. You're calling everyone. I'm calling everyone. Yeah, I was gonna say this episode's calling everyone. But it's science, so it's okay. You're being science called out by science. science. Being called out by science. You're welcome. So we're all familiar with, pretty much familiar with dopamine and rewards. But the other piece is actually um, serotonin, mm-hmm. and serotonin is the part that regulates your mood and appetite. So serotonin actually gets depressed when you're in the in this attraction phase, which is why you, sometimes you can't eat. Oh yeah. You know, and you're always at a high mood and you forget to eat mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. And the norepinephrine part of it is the euphoric part. Right. That's the piece that makes you feel energetic mm-hmm. and like always in that constant state of high. Yeah. So the, the state of attraction is, um, stage two is pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> damn, you poly poker really onto something here. This sounds great. <laughs> we, we always try to jump in and keep our stage two going. Yeah, right. But third stage. We do like the third stage because the third stage is attachment. The third stage is, you know, when you actually feel that stability and you've actually gotten to know someone and you're attached at a level that's not just completely hormonal. Right. Just lust or just attraction. But but beyond that. But there's still hormones involved. Yep. And we've all heard about oxytocin, which mm-hmm. we talk about as the cuddle hormone. Cuddle hormone. That's so cute. It's released during sex, but it's also released during pleasure and during mm-hmm. touch and anything like that. So when you've gotten to that point where you're attached, there's still some, there's a lot of touch. And that touch mm-hmm. is reinforcing that bonding hormone. And the other piece of the attachment phase is also a hormone called vasopressin. AVP. AVP. And that is has to do with bonding, social recognition, and actually a lot having to do with bo- regulating your body and your body functions. Interesting. Um, but here's an interesting thing that, that I'd like you to, to comment on. <laughs> it said that vasosuppression um, has works with behaviors such as pair bonding, social recognition, and aggression, and 
causally increases humans' willingness to engage in risky, mutually beneficial cooperation. So think about when you are in a relationship and you're really attached to someone. Yeah. But even that in itself is risky, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Vulnerability is risky. Opening up to someone's risky. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I hadn't thought about it that way, but... And maybe you're taking chances to, you know, move to a new place together. Oh, yeah. Who's done that? Not me, certainly. It was me. I did that. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's part of the hormones that are working when you're in that attachment phase. Yeah. And it, it enables you to make beneficial decisions as a couple, as opposed to just acting on your own, which is. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Cooperative impulsivity (laughs) is what I've decided to call that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's right. But then it's kind of like when we go back to the conversation about heartbreak, you know, once you reach that third stage, that's also the stage where you're going to put yourself at risk. That's your risky behavior. Now you're at risk of heartbreak. So when you understand that, that these stages of love happen with all of us and, mm-hmm. and then you, when you get to that third la- stage of attachment, then you're in what's called companionate love where, where you actually know the person and you know the person and they're part of your life and you share things together and you might have gotten to know their red flags and they became pink and, you know, purple, yeah, and, and you, you and worked you on it, live yeah. with them. but it certainly explains in you know, a long-term relationship. If that relationship ends why your body is affected so right. dramatically, similar to the loss of, of any other loss of grief. And it makes a lot of sense when you understand yeah. how much your body is involved in right. romance. <laughs> right, right. I think a lot of us, you know, sometimes forget that there's no such thing as your mental game, you know, disassociated from your body. Your, your mental is always going to affect your physical and your physical is going to affect your mental. So if you're sad, your body's sad. Mm-hmm. If you're experiencing heartbreak, your body is experiencing heartbreak. Yeah. But on the opposite side, if you're euphoric, you're euphoric. It's a good thing. You're in a great mood. You're in a great place. And in some ways, it's a good reminder to take things slow so that you naturally move through those phases and that you are kind of protecting yourself from heartbreak by not jumping head first. It's very wise because when you, you recognize that early phase, those early phases are lust and attraction. And those are not, those are the beginnings of a relationship. Those are the building blocks of a relationship, Mm -hmm. but they're not that, that solid structure of, okay, now we've got to commit to everything. Right. Um, perhaps, you know, there are a lot of people who stay in that kind of high attraction phase, their whole relationship, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I think. Um, but at the same time, the process of getting to that attachment and getting to that companionate love, because what's nice about the companionate love is that if you're doing it right, mm-hmm you can flex between that companionate love and still and still access that passionate love you had at the beginning of the relationship. Right, which we have talked about in many episodes is keeping the novelty alive, keeping the passion alive, returning. When we talked to Court Vox, we talked about go back mm-hmm. to the things that excited you in the beginning and see if you can reignite those things again. So. And, and like when we talked to Nan Pearson saying, it's about opening a relationship is opening your minds to novel possibilities, not mm-hmm. necessarily to other people. And those are other ways of creating an NRE in an established relationship. Which is pretty damn cool. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. great. So so we, we broke down the science for you today so that if you're in a heartbreak, you know you'll get through it. 
And if you're just meeting somebody, take it slow. Take it slow. Enjoy yeah. the euphoria for what it is. Yeah. Take it all in. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Well, that is our study session. And we, um, we hope it, it helps you out because sometimes it's nice to put some science behind the feeling so that you know that not only are you not alone, but there's some academically based reasons for why you feel the way that you do. Another study session brought to you, our listeners. <laughs> I want to just say happy new year, happy new relationships and on to the next adventure. Always on to the next adventure. Always. We'll be back next week with another episode of Sex Ed Debunked. But in the meantime, please drop us your comments, questions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can email us at sexeddebunked at gmail.com or DM us, message us, whatever, on any of the socials at Sex Ed Debunked. Thanks for listening and have a good new year. Take care. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media in Providence, Rhode Island. Our sound producer is Ezra Winters with production assistance from Shay Weintraub.